Open up your Bibles to 3 John. We are currently talking in a series that we've entitled Postcards from God, and we've been looking through some of these smaller letters that were written to the early church. And uh, I likened them to postcards. And if you weren't with us when we started last week, I, I talked a little bit about how these postcards came about, a little bit as to why they might be important. And uh, it was the best modern illustration I could give with regards to how we might relate to these things as they're being sent to us. And so we started in 2 John. We're going to spend a little bit more time in 3 John. We'll eventually get to the book of Jude. Uh, I just... I just uh, started thinking about through the years as I have taught God's people and as I preached the gospel that I'd really not spent much time in Second and Third John and the book of Jude. I mean, they're sort of these obscure little writings that uh, tend to get overlooked uh, because there's so many other wonderful things to be able to teach and talk about that find themselves in the predominant books that we're aware of. But I felt like it would just be great this summer just to sort of dig some gold out of these smaller minds and begin to hear what God is saying. And so we're in 3 John. It's just one chapter. If I don't give you a chapter number, it's because all these books only have one chapter. All right. So it's 3 John. We're not going to get past verses 1 and 2. In fact, I'm probably going to have to go back to verse 2 even next week. But there's a lot of things here that I think need untangled, and this is a great place to do it. Third John, we read these words at the beginning of the book. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Everyone say all things. Come on now, you're all Greek scholars through the years. What does all mean? That's exactly right. All means all. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. All right? So this morning we're going to talk for a few moments on what I've entitled, What is Real Prosperity? What is Real Prosperity? I don't know if you've hung around church life long. Maybe you're new to it. Maybe you've been around it for a long time. But I have found through the years that that prosperity is probably the most misunderstood precept in Scripture. When we start talking about prosperity, everybody starts running towards the money first. Or they start running towards something that offended them somehow, some way in church life. And I have just come to understand that that prosperity is probably the minefield of Christian teaching. Prosperity, misunderstood. I think it's misunderstood because religion has picked some things up that simply are not true and has passed it off on us as truth. And I think, I think the other thing is the world has watched us and what we've done with our prosperity. And uh, at times they have rightly been able to criticize us with what we've done with our money and our lives and the blessings that God may send our way. You know, uh, those of you that know my background know that I grew up in a holiness background. And um, for whatever reason... Uh, we venerated poverty, and we criticized prosperity. An amazing thing about that, most of us lived in poverty. See, you get what you speak. And there came a moment as I began to look at my life and read God's Word, I had to ask myself the question, if I had to choose between prosperity and poverty, which one would I want? I've chosen prosperity. I tell you why. It's because if God can trust me with things, 
He'll give me more and I'll be able to do greater things within his kingdom. See, our problem is, is that, is that as God prospers us, most people get a brain cramp. They get more money and what they do is they entangle themselves deeper and deeper into the affairs of the world. They, they, they begin to accumulate things and all the things do is clutter their spirit, get them off course, detoured. And what ends up happening is, is that the very thing that God meant to bless them with has become the very deception that has entangled them. So we've got to untangle these concepts of prosperity. I do not think there's anything particularly holy about poverty. Listen, if we're all in poverty, who's going to help anybody? Are you following me? I mean, I mean, if you're impoverished, you're the one that's in need. If we can pull you out of need, then you can be the one God can use in order to help meet other need. I hope this is making sense. Now, there's two predominant views that I feel like hang out there concerning prosperity. The first one is this. Money is evil and should be avoided. Money is evil and should be avoided. Now, there's a certain strain of religion that tells you that to have any significant finances is bad. Now, I want to clear this up. Some of you already know this, but I'm just clearing it up for everybody. The scripture will tell us, in fact, I'll read the verse later, but it tells us that it is not money which is evil. The Bible says it's the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. So you understand money in and of itself uh, is not evil, but it's loving it. And it's true. You cannot love money with your highest affection because what that says is, is that if you love money, it, it has become an idol in your life. Now, it's not to say that we don't need money. We certainly do. It's the way we navigate most of life is through our finances. But money and just having money is not evil. Now, I've taught this to you as well. I'm just reminding you of this, that Jesus says this. He says that upon money, there is a spirit. And he called that spirit the spirit of mammon. Money's not neutral. Money has a spirit on it. And most money, the spirit that's on it, it is used for worldly purposes. And that is why for most of us, again, you can just take this for what it's worth. When we get money in our hands... The spirit of mammon begins to just talk to us. And the first thing we do with it usually is not loose it for kingdom purpose. But the first thing we do with it is to loose it for self purposes or worldly purposes. And that's why the spirit of mammon has to be broken off our finances. Because you can't serve God and mammon. I hope you're following me still. So money... Money isn't evil in and of itself, but it is a spirit carrier. Now, in the Bible, interestingly enough, if you take the time to study it and read it, there were all sorts of people who were well-to-do. In, in fact, uh, they were well-to-do and they served God, the scripture tells us, faithfully. Abraham was well-to-do. I mean, Abraham had lots of cattle. Uh, he had lots of land. And he was a well-to-do guy. He was not an impoverished person. Abraham did quite well. Job, I realized uh, Job lost everything, but you understand Job was a wealthy individual. And of course, God, through the, through the story of Job, allowed all of that to be taken from him. It's interesting because the Bible tells us that Job, when he had all of his resource, still practiced covenant 
worshipped God, did everything he could in order to maintain his family household as ones that serve the Lord. Satan talked with the Lord, said if you took it all away, he'll curse you, he'll want nothing to do with you. God allowed that to happen to where Job had everything stripped away from him, even his family, everything that could have been important, and yet Job did not lift his soul up to falsehood. He did not curse God. And the moment he got on his knees, and the Bible says he prayed for his friends, God restored back to him twofold of everything that he had. Can I say this to you? God sent him the lottery ticket. He was a well-to-do. Now listen, he was well-to-do, but he was faithful. Say faithful. See, that's the key. God doesn't mind sending you resource, whether or not you'll be faithful with it. David's another example. Hey, you're king. You got a lot at your disposal. He was faithful. Several kings of Israel and Judah. People oftentimes overlook that Jesus had to have money coming into his ministry. Otherwise, why would he need a treasure? Have you ever thought about that? He had a treasure. Now, the treasure ended up stabbing him in the back. But nonetheless, he had a treasure. I think Jesus had a lot more resource at his disposal than some of us probably have been led to believe. Paul himself said that he knew how to abound and he knew how to be abased. There were days in Paul's life where he did not have... I don't know what they use minas. Two minas to rub together. Two, dro two drachma. Or you would say two nickels. But yet at other times he said, I knew what it meant to abound. And the word is clear. That there was more than enough for him. The list is a lot longer than sometimes we've been led to believe. But the world wants the church to remain poor and without resource. Why would that be? It's because if we were at without resource, our influence is greatly diminished. Not just corporately, but personally. And so the world loves to keep throwing at us. Why do you have this? Why do you have that? And, and I'm going to get to some of these ideas a little bit later. But you've got to begin to understand that if God sends you resource, it's not just to consume on you. All right? Now, number two. The second view that's out there, number two, is that somehow or another we've been left with the opinion that all God cares about is money. Now, I'll say it out loud. There is a lot of silliness that takes place under the auspices of raising money in church life and in the kingdom. I'll say it out loud. It is silly, stupid stuff. This business of, I got a revelation of Isaiah 53, 16, and if you'll send $53.16, is hooey. Now, as I say that, I also want to say on this side of the equation that my wife and I appreciate Christian television, watch it fairly regularly, and have sat down in our living room and have written quite large checks to different ministries that are on the television. They have to have resource in order to continue their ministry as well. And so I understand why perhaps a watching world would look at the silliness and then they want to lump us all in that. When in truth, there is an appropriate place for God to speak to you in your finances. And I am as put off as the world is at times concerning all the, the fleecing and silliness that I see. This is what I usually say, though, is this. I can't believe there's that many gullible people out there. 
You need to find yourself a place that's preaching the gospel, that, that sunk themselves into people's lives, that got a track record, that, that aren't throwing out there these gimmicks that if you'll do this, God will do this. Listen, if you get faithful, God will move. And you can, you can have a confidence about where you're sowing your seed. And, and no matter where you sow your seed, it's as unto the Lord anyway. But I just want to recognize out loud as we just kind of open this can that I'm as, I'm as put off at times as anyone else is. But that being said, God cares about every aspect of our life. No matter what aspect of life you're currently challenged in or working in, God cares about it, and that includes your financial situation. Now, the text states this. I read this to you. It says that he wants us to prosper in all things. Now, that's exactly what it means. He wants you to prosper in all things. God wants, for instance, your marriage to prosper. What would that mean? It means that he would like very much for it to be enlarged, for it to find a place of peace, for the bonds to be strengthened, for things to be good. He wants your family to prosper. He wants health and, and, and peace and joy. He wants your career to prosper. He wants your emotions to prosper. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't want you on a roller coaster ride of exhilaration and depression, of excitement and discouragement, but that he'd like to prosper you even internally in your body, in your mind, to prosper, and it says to be in health. And the word health literally means to be sound. He wants your life to be sound, to be on sound footing, to be solid. Yes, you're going to have challenges. Yes, there's going to be storms. Yes, there's going to be adversity that will come your way. Pastor Noah, as he mentioned here in that exhortation, yes, there will be adversity, but the key is not how do I stop the adversity. The key is how do I get an anchor in the midst of my adversity? Because it will come. It will come. He wants you even in the midst of adversity to prosper. That's the miraculous thing. That when even a national recession or a depression takes place in our country, is it not incredible for this local church? I'll just tell you, we've went through a recession since 2008, we're told. But this church has personally prospered through what the media said has been the worst time for nonprofit 501c3s. Legacy Church opted out of the recession. We've opted out. Does that mean we got, does that mean we got big bucks? No, it doesn't mean we got big bucks. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything like that. It simply means that we've been able to flourish in an adverse time. God wants you to flourish even in an adverse time. Now, most people live with an improper definition of what it means to prosper. Now, that's how the devil works. What the devil does is, is that if he can't stop you, if he can't shut you down, he confuses you. A lot of people, a lot of people don't experience all that they could of the good things of God because they're simply confused. And the enemy has confused and twisted some things. If he can get you to embrace a, a faulty definition of something, then you could literally miss what God may be already doing or wanting to do in your life. You know, for all you know, you may have been chasing or believing for something that's an illusion. If you've been told prosperity means this and you're chasing after that mirage, it's just like the guy who's looking for the oasis in the desert. Once you get there, it's gone. 
If you're chasing after a definition of prosperity that's not biblical, once you get to where you think you need to be, you find out it's not there anymore. That's why people, when they make more and more money, still aren't content. That's why people, even though they're in a relationship, still get divorced to start all over again with somebody else. If they get to this place where they think it should be happening in such a way, but they have a faulty definition, and once they get there, it evaporates because the enemy left you with a conception that simply wasn't so. So, I just want to share with you a proper understanding uh, of prosperity. Let me give you just some illustrations here. I wrote a false prospering. You know, for instance, let's just talk about other things other than money for a minute. Let's just talk about a relationship, your marriage. If you think that marriage under God looks like Ozzie and Harriet, I've not found that to be true. If you think somehow your marriage is going to look like the Angles on Little House on the Prairie, maybe Ward and June Cleaver, on leave it to Beaver. If you think that's what a marriage looks like, you are following a mirage. Because that's not what marriage looks like. There are going to be some bumps. There are going to be some challenges. There are going to be some arguments. There are going to be some escalated arguments. There are going to be some hollering arguments. But that, that doesn't mean that your marriage isn't prospering. That's because that's not a biblical definition of marriage, it doesn't say in the Bible, marriage. Please watch Ozzie and Harriet. It doesn't say that. Well, let's throw money out for a minute. If you think prosperity or prospering financially means that you've got mon millions, millions of dollars in the bank, or if you think you've got more cars and more houses, and that's what it means to prosper, then you're going to be sadly mistaken. Because you'll, you, you might very well get those things and find out that they're all meaningless. Once you get them, I've watched people think that the next thing they need to have is this next purchase. And then they get it and they're right back in the same spot they were prior to the purchase. Or how about family life? If you think there's going to be perfect performance in family members, if you don't think that there isn't going, if you think kids, for instance, grow up and they automatically have manners. No, that's why the Bible puts in the scripture you know, 1 Corinthians 13, God put it there because he figured everybody would read the love chapter. Where it says, love is not rude. So he put it in there. Because he knew that we would probably need that. Or your career. If you feel like your career is always being promoted, or you have to be the king cheese or the, the king pin, and, and if you think that's what it means to prosper, you're going to be disappointed or your emotions some people think that they're never going to be down they're always going to be happy they're always going to have a perfect response what side of, of heaven are you living on i put on the screen what is the correct definition of prosperity i want you to look at this to prosper what does it mean it means to succeed in a journey now now you might want to underline journey because it doesn't mean that you're in a, in a destination. It's a journey to flourish, to thrive, to advance, to bloom, to expand, to move forward, to improve, to grow. I could go on and on and on, literally. But, but I, hopefully you're getting sort of the general understanding of what prosperity means. Now, 
I want to ask you, is there anything bad about these things? Anything evil about these things? No, of course not. Of course not. Now I'm going to ask you again, given the choice, would you rather be prosperous or whether, would you rather be in poverty? I, I would trust prosperity. I trust that all these things that you see on the screen would be values, and you need to understand these are kingdom values that you would embrace in your life and begin to move forward. Do you know that there are people, and, and I can't get off on this this morning. I know last week I got off on a lot of things, but I, I got I to gotta hem myself in just a little bit here. People, there are people who have millions of dollars, but they still have a spirit of poverty on them. Because poverty is not just a lack of something, it is the fear of a lack. And I know people that have millions of dollars that live under a poverty spirit because they fear, right? Prosperity in some ways can be understood in the same way. Prosperity doesn't mean having a lot of things. Prosperity, really, if I could use sort of that as a springboard, prosperity is really the capacity to believe that God will meet every need I have. He says in his word that he's never seen the righteous begging for bread. So we're going to talk just a little bit more about this, but, but that's the context with which you need to understand prosperity. Now, I want to give you, and we're going to pick up, we're going to have to pick up on this again next week, but I want to just give you the signs of a prosperous life. If you don't understand what you're believing for, how will you know if you've arrived? If you don't understand what the target is, how will you know if you begin to hit it? If all I do is look at you and say, God wants to prosper you, prosper you, prosper you, and let's say there's 200 people sitting in here this morning, and all of you are hearing me say, God wants to prosper me, there will be 200 definitions of what that would look like. Unless I help you navigate this scripturally. All right. What does it mean to prosper? What, what, what is a legitimate target that I can shoot for if this is something that's of kingdom value? Now, number one, I wrote this. This is what a sign of a prosperous life is. The basic needs of life are supplied. The basic needs of life are supplied. Are you writing that down? I hope you are. Because this is going to help knock out greed. It's going to help knock out covetousness, jealousies. It's going to help you, especially here in America. The basic needs of life are supplied. In America, we tend to believe the philosophy of, I think it's, it was said of multimillionaire J.D. Rockefeller. If it wasn't him, it was another one of those bazillionaires. Who, when asked how much is enough, his answer was just a little more. That's kind of how we look at it in America. You don't have to be a millionaire to subscribe to that. Most of our ideas of prosperity is... Is, is whatever we've got, it's just a little more than what we've got. And once we get a little more than what we had, then we want a little more than what we've got again. 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 10, this is the verse I wanted you to make sure you had. It says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be what? Hey, wait, just, just send it back there for just a moment, Jerry. Just for a moment. I'm looking. No naked people here. Thank you. And by the looks of the crowd, seems like we've been eating pretty good. Can you say amen? amen. Don't go yet. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 
Now, I won't take a survey on how many of you feel content. I'm just telling you what God says. All right, now let's go, Jared. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Stop right there. It says, now, here's your desire. The Bible doesn't say desire riches. The Bible says to seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his... And then what happens? All these things... All right, now, hear me. God's not against you being rich. Our problem is is that there's been something tweaked in a lot of full gospel charismatic churches to where we've sort of taught people to go seek riches. The Bible never says you seek riches, you seek God. You, don't, you just don't seek stuff, you seek God who owns the stuff. He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills the cattle are on. He, he's, he's got no lack or problem with finances. He's got so much of it, he's going to pave streets in gold. He's going to need this nasty asphalt. He's just going to, it's just, he's got plenty. So if you seek him, he'll take care of you. But it says, if you desire to be rich, and this is where our problem is, is we've got people who desire riches. They, they, they come to church because they're trying to figure out their next get rich quick scheme. That's not why we're here in the house of God, so you can be taught what gimmick you can now do, so God will just give you anything and everything you want. That's not gospel. The gospel, the gospel is about reaching nations and people and, 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 and spreading the good news that He died for you and wants to give you a prosperous life, but that's our agenda. My agenda is not getting rich. God, it just irritates me. When I hear Christians go, yeah, 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 God's going to make me a multi-gajillionaire and then I'm going to do this or that. You aren't doing nothing. If you aren't doing something now, you won't do nothing with a billion dollars. If you can't, if you, if you can't lose that $10 bill in your pocket, I've got no confidence that a billion is going to come out of you any easier. Amen. Someone taking notes on pastor? I need to read these things afterwards. First Timothy 6. Go to verse 10. Now here we find it. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now I'm going to, again, I'm just sharing you some prosperity observations. I've watched God prosper Christians through the years. And the minute they get money, it pulls them out of the house of God. I, I don't understand it. I've watched it for years. They get money and they finally are able to, to buy their toys, their boats and their jet skis. They buy their, their ocean uh, uh, condos and houses. And, and, and Am I against it or is God against it? No, God wants to bless you with it. But do you think he gave that to you so you could be pulled out of the house of God and, and to be of no gospel use or purpose? See, that's the snare. That's... That's the snare that happens. The minute we get money, in fact, I found this out as well. When people have money, they can avoid the dealings of God longer. Because you buy your way out of your repercussions. You know, you're, 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 you, you, I've watched this with parents with their children. Their, their children get in trouble. And instead of letting them go through the process of law enforcement and courtrooms, they buy their kids out of it 
And what happens is, is they've delayed the dealings of God to where their child's going to have to learn it somewhere else along the way. And unfortunately, it may be a lot harder on down the road. But that's what money does. Money can buy you the best attorney. Ask OJ. I don't care what you think about OJ or whether or not, but, but money, OJ had a problem. Okay, I'm not, I understand everybody's got their opinion. But, but can I just share this with you? That, that you can buy your way. Money can avoid the dealings of God for a season. But all it took was his anger going out of control one time a little bit later down the road. And now for a simple anger issue when he broke into someone's apartment, he's now in jail for the rest of his life anyway. How did that happen? His money avoided that. All of those things that I mentioned to you on those verses, those, those are important issues. It's a tool of deception. Um, if we are fed, the scripture says, and have clothes on and we have a place to sleep, you are doing well in global terms. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God shall supply what? Your, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The key word being need. Now, listen to me. I shared this with leadership the other day. This is really important. If you are in this room, no matter what your status currently is, you, you, you could be rather well-to-do in this room this morning, or you could be in a really tough place financially. But no matter where you are, if you're sitting in this room this morning, you are in the top 4% of wealth in the world. You understand that even if you're in Section 8 housing, even if you're in public housing, you are in better condition than 96% of the rest of the globe. Think about that for just a minute. Now, I understand we don't want you to stay in public housing. I believe God's will for you is to get your life pulled together so you can own your own home and, and that you can enjoy even greater blessings. But here's the point I'm trying to make. In America, just by living in America, we are in the top 4% of wealth in the world. I don't care if you're homeless this morning. You're better off being homeless in America, come on, than being homeless in Qatar. Now, the reason I share that with you is that just knowledge of that should begin to redefine what it means to be prosperous. Are you following me? Now, again, it's not to suggest that God does not want to grant us more. The truth is God is not facilitating our greed and he is not facilitating our discontentment. The Lord very much wants people to prosper and remain spiritually healthy. Unfortunately for us in the church, most of us have not had that capacity. And we've got to change that. Can you say amen? Hey, say change me, Lord. Come on, come on. If you're going to give me great resource, then I need to be spiritually healthy. See, that's our problem. If, he, if, 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 if you believe God's called you to greater resource, then I will assure you he's calling you to greater spiritual health. Because otherwise, he'd lose money to you and you just, you just get a brain cramp. All right? So the basic needs of life are supplied. Number two, I believe prosperity means there's enough extra to help others. Because it's not all about you and it's not all about me. The Lord prospers us. Why? So we can, believe it or not, give it away. Ephesians 4.28 says, posted, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So God prospers us in order that we can have something to help someone else. 
Now, I've told this story before. I want to tell it again. I had the opportunity to listen to Rick Warren share not so many weeks ago. And he told the story about as he wrote The Purpose Driven Life and ultimately The Purpose Driven Church. It's the, it's the biggest selling book that's ever happened in human history underneath the Bible. He literally made, no joke, hundreds of millions of dollars. Think about this for just a minute. If all of a sudden God gave you an idea and it took off and you were granted hundreds of millions of dollars. Think about that. Hundreds of millions. What would you do with hundreds of millions of dollars? I can tell you what he did. He said that they made the decision. I wrote him down five things. They decided he and his wife that they were going to keep life simple. They decided that they weren't going to change the place they lived. They weren't going to change the cars they drive. They were going to continue to do what they'd always done. The money was not going to change their lifestyle, number one. Number two, he decided that he would no longer get paid for anything that he did in the life of the church. He didn't resign his church. He kept pastoring, but he wasn't going to get paid for it any longer. Number three, he decided he was going to pay back every dime the church had ever paid him in salary over almost 25 years. Now, isn't that a lot of, that'd be a lot of money. It don't matter how much you make. That'd be a lot of money over 25 years. He paid it all back. He said, I love doing it because the next time somebody interviewed me on a national media show, Rick said this, and they asked me, what's your salary? I could say zero. How much has the church paid you through the years? I paid it every dime back. He said that knocked the wind out of the Philistine media who's looking for ways to challenge the message of the gospel. Now, again, I don't have any problem with God's servants prospering. I don't have any problem that he wrote a book, got $100 million, and he couldn't have gone done something else with it for himself. I would personally have no problem with that. But God saw something in that man that he could, he could loose that kind of money to. Then he set up all kinds of charities, and now he's just giving it all away. And he said that he decided that he was going to be a reverse tither, which meant that Right now, he's living on 9% of his income, and he gives away 91%. Think about that. Could you do that? Most of you, I won't say most of you. Forgive me, Lord. I won't say. I was just rewinding there for just a minute. A lot of people, I won't say most of you, a lot of people say to themselves, if you give me a million dollars, then I'll tithe. No, you wouldn't. I, I just said that, that $10 bill. We can't get a dollar out of your 10 and you're wondering why God won't lay millions on you. Something to consider. A prosperous person gets a bigger kick giving than they do receiving. I just want to encourage you. Tracy and I started to do this, and we're just going to find a way to do it. Uh, we feel like we're great givers. We give way beyond the tithe. But we're going to somehow determine that every year I'm going to give 1% more every year. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to choose to do it so God can see my purpose heart. So when he loses greater resource my direction, he's going to know that there's someone here that practiced it with menial resource. Amen. All right, just something for you to chew on. <laughs> Number three, there's seed to sow into the ministry and kingdom work. Why does God prosper you? Because he wants you to do great things with it. Second Corinthians 9, let's read that. But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Next, so let each one give 
as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able, listen, to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Keep going. As it is written, he who has dispersed abroad, he who has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. Now I love that phrase there because what that says is to me is this. God wants to give me seed. That's what that verse says. God wants to give me, he wants to give me money not to spend on myself, but he wants to give me money so I can sow seed. And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. And that's where we get the concepts that as you begin, we tithe out of obedience. But as we begin to give over and above that, we end up in the multiplication realm. He will supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So the reason he prospers us isn't just for us. Something to do more beyond ourselves. Number four, this is what the signs of a prosperous life are. I just want to go through this. Your, your needs in life are supplied. You have extra to help other people. You've got monies to sow into broader ministry and kingdom work. And then number four, I believe a prosperous person is one that has an inheritance that can be released generationally. Proverbs 13, 22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, many of you have heard that second half. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. God's going to release the wealth of the wicked. It's laid up for the righteous. Hallelujah. Well, that's great, and I believe that's true, but we need to read the first half, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. What that says to me is this, that there is an appropriate place, again, to plan and to stash away resources that can be used generationally in order to bless your family tree. Again, it's, it's not about you. It's not just consuming it all on you. And, and our, our problem has been, as we've left our inheritances to our children, that our children consume it on themselves. See, there's never any generational influence or dominion or legacy because we've not trained our children to understand that when they get a windfall, that the first thing they don't need, you know, they, they don't need to do with it is go out and just consume it on themselves. We need to begin to teach them that, that this isn't about us. This is about generational influence. How come the wicked have, have years of prosperity, but the righteous are too busy just sucking it down so we can get whatever the newest thing is? Golly, we need to change our mentalities in these areas. And I not only believe that's financial, by the way, I believe that's spiritual too. Because you just can't leave them a wealth of market knowledge. You gotta leave them, you gotta leave them preset knowledge, word knowledge. You can be successful in business and you can train up a child being very uh, business savvy and have great acumen in these areas. But, but if you don't leave them a spiritual heritage, what have you left them? What happens if the spiritual legacy stops with you? I think you, you failed. We've got to begin to sow spiritual legacy into our kids as well. And I've looked at my children and I, again, I, I've not raised them all and, and we're still in the hunt and, 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 and there's no guarantees because they're all born with some sense of freedom. Can you say amen to that? I mean, have mercy. But truth of the matter is, we've sowed through the years that our name shall be a righteous name. 
And that, and that they have a responsibility to live righteously. They may choose to go another path, but it'll be over me reminding them that righteousness is a part of our heritage. Amen. Nothing wrong with forceful reminders. Turning the volume up. I've heard people say, oh, not yell at them. Why not? It's better than beating them. I'm not telling them they're stupid. I said, you're smarter than that. We're a righteous remnant. I feel a horse coming up to me to jump on and ride, but I'll let it go. Number five, I'm, I'm, I'm closing out here. Number five, I believe this is prosperity. There is a stable, healthy, peaceful, and godly environment around you. I'm just giving you what I've come to understand is prosperity. If your life is in upheaval, despite the size of your check register, you're not prospering. Prosperity is linked to how your soul, John writes here, prospers. Prosperity means your soul is content, it's full, it's peaceful, it's joyful. And, and, and if you don't see those attributes flowing out of you and around you, then you're, you're not... You've not had the full scope of prosperity take place in your life. So we've got to learn that prospering isn't just about the, the goods and the stuff and the money, but prospering is that peaceful place. I, I tell you right now, I, I'm, I, I live a good life. I'm, I appreciate everything. In fact, God's really been working on me about gratitude because I have that choleric personality that's always driving to the next hill. You know, some of you are cholerics and you're just built with, you know, I got to get to that next hill, that next attainment, that next promotion, that next goal. I'm just, and that's your personality is sort of built that way. And I have kind of a personality like that. And what happens is, particularly those who are of a choleric nature, and it may be other personality types as well, but for us in the choleric nature, our problem is we're never grateful. We get to where we're supposed to be and we go, yes, I made it. Now, where's the next place? Oh, it's great here too. Where's the next place? And all of life is like that. And, and, and for those, and again, it may affect other personality types as well, but we've got to learn that no matter where we're at, we've got to find a sense of peace and a sense of joy and contentment and gratefulness. Sure we do. And God has really been working on me about being grateful. Just be, be grateful, Kevin. How much more do I have to do in your life for you just to get grateful? Well, Lord, I hear you. You don't have to do anything more. If we just stop right now, and this is where I'm supposed to be for the next 45 years, because I am preaching until I'm 96 years old. I've decided that. So if this is, if this is it, if this represents it all, I've got, my life's pretty good. My life, my, in fact, my life is great. Because I've got joy, I've got peace, I've been married to the same woman for 30 years, and I can honestly say the last 10 have been the best. Not many can say that in our country anymore. All my needs are met. I'm about 25 pounds overweight, so obviously I'm doing okay eating. Everybody's got a car in the driveway. Caitlin's going to be driving soon. I expect God will somehow provide a way to get some wheels for her. I'm doing all right. Live in a nice neighborhood, nice area of town. My lawn's mowed. My, my sidewalks are etched. 
pretty flowers in the garden, the air conditioner's on. The dog jumps on the bed, licks me on the face. The cat jumps up and wants to be petted next. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. I'm a prosperous man. Am I the richest man in Charleston? Nowhere close. Nowhere close. But I'm a prosperous man. And, and that's the place I believe we've got to be. Because here's the deal. If I... If I can find my joy and I can find my peace and I can find my contentment and it can be it can be sealed in my heart, then you know what God can do? God can say he's got it. I can give him more because it won't change it any. And that's exactly what he wants to do with some of you. That's why he's putting us in order. That's why he's working on us continually, because he'd really like for great purposes to flow through all of our lives. Now. We're going to pick up next week with some of this, and I'm going to talk to you about motives, some motives in prosperity, and then I'm going to get real practical and tell you, I think there's about four areas that God usually prospers through, and, 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 I, and I think it could help you in that area. So we're going to pick it up here, but I want, to, I want to conclude with this, and I'm done. It's all over. I promise. Psalm 35, 27. Write this one down. Give this to your skeptic friend says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Just keep that up there. I want that to be emblazoned in your psyche and in your spirit. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, I didn't mean... Again, everybody's going to get be a millionaire. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm just. I'm talking about a flourishing in life. You know, I was. I was. I posted a little Facebook deal, and there was a lady I know up in the upstate. And she's. A, she's a sweet lady, and she posted something because, because her life. Her life. If we take a worldly definition to prosperity, probably wouldn't fit within that definition. In fact, her view was that she had a friend that was having a heart bypass. And she responded to me because I had posted something about prosperity. She responded to me by saying, do you think that if you have a heart bypass that, that people aren't prosperous? And then she had uh, a son who was born with a handicap, severe handicap. And she said, do you think because I have a handicapped child that, that somehow we're not prosperous? And, and, and the intimation was that somehow to be to be prosperous meant that God wanted your life to be perfect or somehow better than whatever she had experienced. I want you to listen to me very carefully. God didn't promise any of us perfection. In fact, to be candid with you, if, if you pursue him, there'll be adversity. Prospering is not utopia. Prospering, prospering is, not, is not somehow everything being just perfect for you. Uh, prospering is when you can reach the place where you can begin, no matter where you're at, to flourish. That's what Paul Again, I go back to what Paul said. He said, whether I'm abounding or whether I'm abased, in all things, I'm content. He can flourish. Truth of the matter is, I'm grateful for where I live. You know, I would like to increase, but you know what? Truth of the matter is, I think I can honestly say out loud that if the day were to ever come, 
I lost it all. And by the way, folks, I've lost a lot in my life. And I think part of the reason you bounce back is when you can say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Lord, if I have it, that's great. It's yours. If I don't, I'm still prospering inside. I'm at peace. I trust you. I'm not in fear. I trust you. And John prayed for two things. Two things. And I want to pray for two things before we leave today. I guess I need to finish up the Facebook thing. That I mentioned to her that, that just because people have handicaps doesn't mean they can't prosper. I, I used the, the story of Mephibosheth. Those of you that have ever read the story of Mephibosheth was in the house of Saul. And when they were making a getaway, when David was coming in to take over Jerusalem, his nursemaid dropped him when he was a baby. And when the baby got dropped, it caused him to be lame in one of his legs. He was handicapped through no fault of his own. And he lived in Lodabar, which is called the desert place. And the day finally came that David said, is there anyone that I can show kindness to in the house of Saul? And somebody said, well, there is Mephibosheth. He said, bring him in. And so they carried in this lame person and they set him at the king's table. And David said, from this point forward, he'll sit with me at the table. He'll dine with me. All his needs will be met. He'll never have to worry about this again. And it was just a beautiful picture. And I believe the Holy Spirit just brought it up for me in order to communicate to this sweet lady by simply saying, I think that's the picture of God's prospering. God didn't fix his leg. God met all of his needs. Somehow, sometimes that's just how it works. God doesn't, God doesn't fix necessarily have to fix everything, but you can still flourish. You can still flourish. Some of you have lost things. And somehow or another, you think because you've lost something that, that life can never be perfect. Well, life may never be perfect, but you can still flourish. You can still prosper. You may never get back what you lost, but that does not mean that God still is not true and that he can't still prosper you. And this is what I want to do. There are two things I want to do before we go. The first thing I want to do is I want to remind you that John prayed for the church to prosper. He said, I'm praying that you prosper in all things. John said, I want, I want the church to prosper. So I'm going to pray for the church to prosper here in just a moment. But before I do that, I want everyone to stand with me.